This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Hello and welcome to episode 17 of 21 for 21, 21 sports media lessons in the 21st century. Uh, very excited today, Stuart, because we've got our first American guest on. We had a Canadian last week. This week we have our first American guest, Lowell Stevens. Welcome to the podcast. Lowell's going to talk to us about the metaverse and esports, which are two topics that we've kind of had on our radar for a little while now. and. I have to admit, I've done a little bit of work with with the League of Legends team uh, here in Barcelona, and and I sort of followed the the Super League from a distance. Um, but it's something I, I otherwise don't know very much about, and I certainly don't know very much at all about the metaverse, Stuart. I don't know if you've got any more knowledge coming into this episode. I mean, no, it's like back back to I'm really excited to have to have Lowell here because this is almost back to. What we're doing right at the start of the podcast, we did a lesson on TikTok, a lesson on Twitch, and then we went in this sport media direction for a few episodes. Now it's really nice to for us to to sit back and learn learn something about some of these industry buzzwords. So Lowell, thanks again. Thanks again for joining us. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. So maybe we should sort of kick off. We just sort of find out about who is Lowell Stevens and and kind of what's your background that brings you into this space because you've been quite. Uh, busy from what I can see on on kind of LinkedIn and, and your social medias in terms of what is the metaverse and, and esports. Yeah, sure. So, um, well, I, I'll start from the very beginning. I've, uh, you know, I got my first Game Boy at seven years old, uh, started playing Game Boy Color games all the way up until about high school. I ended up getting a chance to play uh, Halo with a, a team. So we went to these regional tournaments it was fantastic it was really exciting um and but that was back in the day i like to tell people that was back in the day where winning a tournament got you like a 50 dollars applebee's gift card and that was it you know so uh, it wasn't really a viable career path you know back in 2007 2008 um as much as it is today so i ended up uh kind of falling away from that just kept on playing games as a hobby uh, and then it, it really picked back up when I moved to South Korea after college. Um, I I had some friends there that were teaching English. They were like, hey, you should move here. It's great. And I was like, okay, sure, I'll do it. I had an English degree. I thought, what else will I do with it? Um, 
So I ended up moving to Busan and stayed there for about a year and a half uh, teaching English. And then I moved to Taiwan. And the way I got into the esports e world was actually kind of coincidental. Um, I was dating a girl in Taipei and she was actually friends with Sword Art from uh, at this point he was in uh, Flash Wolves. And uh, so I got I went to a house party and I met Sword Art and I met some of the other Flash Wolves and um, I was chatting with them and I was like, what do you guys do? And they're like, oh, we play League of Legends. I was like, what is this game? Because I, I was a console gamer. I was a filthy console gamer for most of my life. Didn't play PC games. Didn't really play League of Legends. Uh, got into it and got really, really sucked in by the game. Uh, and that, that was kind of my my entry drug into the esports world. So uh, after about a year and a half in Taipei, I ended up moving back to Korea. But my goal was to work in esports. Um, and considering my peak rank was like gold one, probably wasn't going to be a player. So I ended up uh, working on a, a sort of esports communication program for um, for a pro team. I ended up getting picked up by Genji, and Genji had just recently started their Genji Global Academy, which was an esports academy in Seoul. Um, so I moved up to Seoul, and I ended up working with them for the last about two years. Uh, and then just recently, in December, I left Korea, came back to the U.S., and I'm in the I just started um, a metaverse design company called Fox and Farthing. Oh, so certainly a lot of a a lot, a lot of experience there, Lowell. So just to, I mean, like we've had a lot, a lot in this podcast, it's been people who aren't quite good enough at playing their chosen sports going <laughs> into work in it. So this is the same, but with with the esports example. Uh, so could you do a bit more? explanation of what what it is you, you were doing in in the academy in Seoul? yeah sure so um basically what i had realized was esports had a fundamental flaw in that there was very little professionalism in the industry as a whole from the front office to the back office um and players you know to everyone else it's just it, essentially the way the the industry had evolved was players made a lot of money playing games back in like you know five ten years ago uh, and they would take that hundred thousand or two hundred thousand or a million dollars they made, and then they would start a team, and they would essentially be someone who dropped out of high school, and not disparaging, but they were someone who dropped out of high school, didn't go to college, and they're now running what is essentially a multi-million dollar business. And the issue with that was the players would behave unprofessionally, the staff would behave unprofessionally, etc. You know, from every perspective and the point that gga was trying to do was they wanted to create more well-rounded players and uh esports professionals so actually the academy is fascinating because genji is not necessarily interested in just creating esports players they're they're interested in creating esports professionals so basically at executives who might work in the esports industry or or businessmen or whatever um, and so what I was doing is I was teaching these esports professional communication classes. So I did in-game communication. So uh, we would look at things like uh, the Navy SEALs or Army Rangers and how they would communicate on the battlefield. And we would take those 
uh, techniques and apply them to in-game communication as far as mic discipline. And then uh, we would also run simulations. So I would basically sit down and pretend to negotiate a contract with them or pretend to negotiate an advertisement um, or help them read like legalese as far as these contracts are concerned. Um, and so a lot of it was was less games than they, I think, were initially expecting. Um, but when my students ended up getting positions, a couple of them went to pro Overwatch teams. One of them is a trainee for Damwon. Um, and they ended up, uh, they would send me messages on Instagram or, or Twitter or whatever and be like, hey, I, uh, I, I, you know, thanks so much for your class. It really helped me. I got way more money than I thought I would get. So, you know, it ended up working out really well. We've, we've got something in common in that we're, I, I came to Barcelona as an English teacher. Um, oh. There are some skills. There are some skills there that you've just described in what you were teaching uh, esports. When gamers is not a word, is it? Is it competitors or there's a, a certain vocabulary that goes with this world. Um, I certainly don't have a good handle on. But but there's some skills there that you know I I taught business English and there was negotiation there was you know thinking about communicating outside of kind of just the language, uh, so I definitely see some like transferable skills there in terms of what you took from from one career to the next. Yeah, a hundred percent. That's that's really interesting because so I've had some interaction with with uh, esports competitors, very limited so, um, but I was quite surprised at kind of. I, I very much had this idea of like, ah, it's just some guys that play video games professionally. They're just really good at video games, right? Uh, they were League of Legends players. And, but they kind of said, you know, they actually spent a lot of time together. And so they trained physically together as well. They, they all go to the gym together and do workouts. I kind of meant to build that kind of team bond and that communication. Um, so that's, that's certain really interesting. And I think maybe you, you commentate, like comment a little bit on your time in this world of how it's become professionalized from from when you first kind of entered into into that world yeah certainly so um one thing i was the reason that i joined gen g over any other team was because they have a commitment to first of all they, they were purchased from samsung galaxy which won worlds a few years ago um and this new organization ksv which purchased them uh became gen g and gen g was really focused on like professionalism in their own industry. So um, all of their executives are are very highly educated. They have master's degrees. They came from uh, excellent universities in the United States and in Korea. Um, and so what I was really excited to see when I was there was, was that escalation in professionalism compared to other organizations. So um, as far as like the internships that they, they had the students do, um, they, oh, well, it's easier. I think I, I feel like for people who are outside this world, this feels like a baseline, right? Um, <laughs> however, I think if you look at other examples, so an, an example, I don't want to drag them too much, but an example would be TSM in the United States right now. Um, for people who don't know TSM, the, the owner of that is Reginald. He was a player of league of legends starting back in like season one to about 2011. Um, he ended up retiring and just starting the organization. He's famous for bullying his players. He's under uh, investigation by the league. He, I think recently there was some sort of controversy and without a PR rep, without anything, went on Reddit and just went on this unhinged rant about 
uh, a former player of his. So that's kind of like the baseline right now at esports. Um, and there's also been a nepotism problem as well. People who started on at the team like six years ago, seven years ago, and they were like a social media manager with a community college degree. And they ended up working their way up to like president, vice president, whatever. And they just don't have the skills or the knowledge to do the job effectively. Um, and and I, I touched on this in one of my papers. It's been kind of a, a growing issue for esports, especially as more money tries to get in. It's you know to the industry. It's being bottlenecked by these people who are not necessarily qualified for their positions. And when that happens, it turns off investors. It turns off um, people who might be you know venture capitalists or someone who's looking to sell venture debt, things like that. So. You know, it, it's been, I love the industry personally. It's, it's something that is, I'm passionate about. I, you know, I would do it for free. And so seeing esports being kind of, I would say crippled by this, you know, endemic plague has been one of the reasons that I, I started what I did. Um, and it's actually kind of the reason that I'm moving into So um, I guess this is from what you've been saying. It's almost like these early early seasons of of the leagues, like you mentioned, is almost like some sort of wild west where it's a bit unregulated and it's the kids kids running it themselves. But it's now moving into um, more of a professional sphere with the the suits almost taking charge. Um, we've seen a lot in Europe, so a bit a lot of the big European soccer teams like Barcelona and PSG are, lo are launching their teams as well. Um, so would you say that's a good thing for the sport for esports that it's attracting these blue chip famous teams or has it almost lost a bit of its innocence esports in a way that it's been taken out of the hands of the kids and into the into the adults you know i think people could argue both ways and i think i think it's the same for every sport right when you've got a soccer team and it's it's just you know 20 guys and they've got a little club somewhere and they're doing it for the love of the game you know, it, I actually, I recently watched the English game. I don't know if you guys have seen that. Um, it was really interesting to me. It was about the, the oh, rise the, uh, of professionalism. Oh, the Downton Abbey of, of soccer. No, it's, um, I, I, I know it, but I, I never saw it, no. Oh, is it, is it, it's got that reputation? I, it's okay. like the same, same writer, I think, as Downton Abbey. So it's that sort of era. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thing, yeah. Well, I would highly recommend it. I loved it. It was really fascinating to see how you know professionalism rose in uh soccer and it was really interesting to me to to actually compare that to esports so yeah there is a loss when you start paying people when esports is not just going to be for the love of the game um but i think that that's necessary so in a sense i think that people the many of a lot of people say there's like there's players right and there's fans and then there's suits but what what's interesting to me is I think that suits can be fans. And I think that there are suits that were fans or still are fans right now that are doing it because they're fans. Um, for example, some of my bosses at Gen G were uh, very highly educated. They worked in the, the major league baseball. They worked at blizzard. They worked at like big companies and they came to Gen G not because of the salaries were outsized. They came because they, they loved it and they wanted to see 
esports succeed. So are they suits? Yeah, um, they are businessmen first, but I think that they're striking a very healthy balance. Whereas if you've got someone who, you know, is respected, but is a high school dropout trying to run a multi-million dollar company, um, you know, I think that that's worse for, I think that's worse for the sport as a whole than having someone who might be slightly less passionate, but slightly more educated. It's, I think it's, it's always really easy to kind of like draw parallels or, or compare differences with traditional sports. But these kind of esports athletes, uh, in sometimes very similar, can, you know, sort of headspace, if you like, or to other pro athletes, you know, they, they've, I don't know, they've not got an academic career. So they've headed into the way of professional sports or semi professional sports. Uh, you know, there are various kind of parallels in that sense. Um, are there other kind of major similarities with like traditional sports teams, or maybe there's some big differences as well as you've, you've noticed along the way? Yeah, so I, I'm a massive fan of American football. Um, I'm a big Eagles fan. I watch it a lot. And I would say that uh, a lot of people seem to think that like, you know, I, I'm sure not everyone, but a lot of people seem to think that esports don't have like a competitive drive. You know, it's like, oh, you're just sitting there playing video games, whatever. Um, and I would say that's that that's the biggest parallel is just as badly as, you know, a football player wants to win the game or a soccer player is out, you know, training, you know, eight, 10 hours a day trying to to become the best or, you know, enter the Premier League or whatever. I think it's the same for esports players. I saw um, I saw esports players that would you know, they would play for 12, 15 hours a day. And, or here's the thing, it's not just playing. Sometimes they would go into the practice tool in League of Legends or go into the, go into an aim trainer and they would do that for six or eight hours. And it's mind numbingly boring. It's not enjoyable at all. And they would, they would do this till their, you know, their fingers are bleeding essentially. And it was because they wanted to be the best. There was a drive for perfection. Um, and I think that that's, I think what can be most admirable. The issue with esports, when you see someone, you know, in football, if you see someone like Matt Stafford drop back and throw a, a 60 yard uh, pass to, to Cooper Cup in the end zone, you see that and you know that's difficult. I couldn't do that, right? When you see Faker flash a wall and, you know, LeBlanc W into four people and it kills all of them. You, you don't really know how much dedication or time or practice went into that. But I think that was the biggest thing for me is how dedicated they were to being perfect. Like they were in this pursuit of perfection and they were looking for it for, from everywhere. So a lot of the students would research things like um, their diet. They would, they would be eating high potassium foods for their brain. Um, they would be looking for the best way to like oxygenate their blood for long, after long periods of sitting. Um, some of them would, would find like, they would go to oxygen bars on the weekend. So in Seoul, there were these oxygen bars you could go to. Um, and they'd pay like 20 bucks to like just sit and breathe pure oxygen in hopes that it would help them, you know, think better. And, uh, and I, I think that's been the biggest parallel for me is that, because there's not much of a front office as far as like these support staff that sports have, um, the players are left kind of developing this on their own. And I think that speaks to their passion as well, is that 
they're willing to do this to like create this tertiary uh field around them and just do it themselves yeah that, that's pretty amazing that's something that i i've struggled with personally to see in professional sports. i think a lot of sports and i guess gaming in a similar sense the barriers to entry are really low right like anyone could go kick a, a football around a field anyone could i don't know on your on your mobile right you can play league of legends uh -huh. the apps the apps literally free um but it's not until you kind of see people frequently compete at an elite level, whatever mm -hmm. it is, that they start talking about a matter of inches. I don't know, like Formula One, for example. If they gain a hundredth of a second in a corner over their opposition, like that can mean make all the difference between winning and losing, right? Or if, I don't know, a football quarterback can throw an inch further than, I don't know, you know, it's, it's, it's a matter of such minutiae and such small detail that, that makes the difference. And I, there's no reason why that shouldn't be the case for, for League of Legends or any other competitors in the eSport realm. That, that's really interesting. In terms of media, because we're a sport media podcast, and I think we could very easily go down the rabbit hole of, of kind of like eSports and the, the athletes compared to traditional sports athletes. And in terms of the media and in terms of communicating this kind of, this, this same, this competitive edge that they've got or the same emotion, because that's, having edited videos of esports that's one of my biggest issues is like they literally sit there they're, they're like plugged into the matrix right <laughs> there's no emotion that you, you don't you know that you see on a, a football pitch or on a wherever so in terms of kind of the media side of it what what big differences have you have you seen yeah so from a from a sports media perspective like obviously with media you know especially as you're like cutting trailers or or highlight reels you want to see those big moments right you want to see that that show of motion you want to see like the you know what's happening um and i think for esports especially it tends to be a little bit more of a less emotional field um for some of the players unless it's a very big game um and I think that's where the problem lies, especially, is in attracting new players. It's very difficult. To, when you're showing someone an eSport, unless it's a very simple one, like Rocket League, you're having to, you know, explain the game. And then you explain what's happening and who's winning. Uh, and with a game like, like League of Legends, it can be very difficult to know who's winning because it's such a complex game. Or like Dota, right? If someone's playing Dota, a super complex game there's 80 champions or heroes you've got a huge map you've got all, like over 200 items and just you know it's so that sort of barrier to entry there are people who have played the game in the league of legends for years and still don't know core mechanics about it and so when you've got like casual viewers who want to just sit down with a beer watch the game you know you, that that's a major issue you have to find a way to bridge that gap I think that the breakthrough in media, sports media, especially when it comes to League of Legends, will come from a way to intentionally simplify the game down to its core components. And where I think that would come in would be two separate streams, essentially a casual stream and a hardcore stream. The casual stream would be more of like a red side's winning, blue side's winning, like, you know, something more casual. And then the hardcore stream would have all the data that people are watching. Um, and I think that's probably going to be the future. I know that, that Riot Games has experimented with like a beginner's broadcast where the casters explain more about the game. 
but really i think that that needs to be the main draw it needs to be you go in and there's just two big numbers and it's like oh yeah this these guys are ahead right now um just like you can sit down in front of a soccer game or a football game and go oh it's seven to zero the seven is winning you know i think that's that's going to be the future as far as attracting a mainstream audience that doesn't play the game um and that's where league of legends as a that's my the game i focus on the most but that's where league of legends kind of fails compared to more casual or i would say easier to understand games like again like rocket league uh is essentially cars and soccer and that's it it's just 3v3 and you know you you can understand it you're like okay they're trying to get the ball into the net i get it um or a game like you know overwatch can be very confusing to watch but you know, it's like these guys want to make this car go to the end of the line, and you kind of understand that push and pull. So, the thing is that you know you've got an issue where the most popular esport in the world is also the most complex. I think what's going to happen is League of Legends won't be the the biggest esport for very long. I think the next two or three years there'll be a new esport of some sort that comes onto the the field. It explodes and it, it's like the premier esport and i don't know what that is yet um, i don't even think it's been announced but there will be something that is easier to understand more interesting to play and has a broader like just viewership appeal as media first i think media first esports are the future so all this sort of modernizing or making it a more simpler format for league of legends it sounds a lot like cricket is, is doing i don't know how much you, you follow cricket but there's always adaptations in the rules and how many players or, or whatever are, are, are on the field um just a quick question again linking it back to myself and jamie's background so for the next um big, big e-sport e or what sort of differences are there between something like league of legends which is fantasy and an e-sport version of a traditional sport like FIFA or Formula One games, is there much difference in the community or popularity from from what you you observe? Yeah, so right now there's uh, two major esports, you know, in the most traditional sense, uh, FIFA and NBA 2K. I know FIFA is very popular in Europe, and NBA 2K is very popular in the United States. I think the biggest hurdle to both of those is people look at it like let's say the, I, I tell people this all the time esports will have made it not when i watch it esports will make it when my parents watch it you know and if my parents are watching esports on the tv that's when i know that it's reached mainstream popularity um and i think the major hurdle for digital sports in that sense is a lot of people say why can't you just do it right so it's like if you see two guys sitting on a stage playing NBA 2K against each other. They're just playing, you know, basketball on an Xbox. You you wonder like could they, could they not just go play basketball like a 1v1? And I think to an extent that kind of sells it short. What's interesting is as the esport develops um and same with FIFA as FIFA esports develop, it becomes less, you know, I would say more divorced from the real sport. The strategies change. Um the game kind of evolves and develops in that way so i think i think the biggest hurdle is actually people's mental hurdle is like you know oh this is just soccer why would i not just watch barcelona versus you know real madrid or why would i not just watch you know the premier league 
as opposed to just watching two guys sit on a stage and play soccer or football against each other. Um, I think that's the biggest one. But I have watched those esports, and they are very popular, especially with the younger generation. Um, and I think that they do have a future. It's just I think it remains to be seen how niche that future will be as opposed to, you know, if that will take over in the future. Uh, and I think not to be an alarmist, but if climate change continues the way it has, if pollution continues the way it has, it might be nearly impossible for youth leagues or under 14s or whatever to be able to play. And, and especially in the United States, here's what's interesting is there's been a major movement against football, uh, American football. It's very concussive as a sport. There's a lot of injuries. Um, pretty much every single professional game you see, there's two, three, four, five injuries um, or concussions or whatever. I think parents, well, I, I don't think, I know parents are not allowing their children to play football. I think if any sport or esport has a, a major potential, it would be the NFL and kind of digitizing their sport for youth. Um, I think that's that's going to be a major that has major potential. And unfortunately, Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the NFL, is an absolute moron. So he doesn't know about this. But I would love to see the NFL move into esports in a big way. All right, so you, you mentioned um, just then watching people sat on a stage playing NBA 2K, um, as well as the NFL going sort of digital as well. So I guess that's kind of leads us nicely into. The other topic that we um, wanted to discuss with you, like the, the metaverse. So, so the metaverse, from from my limited understanding, it, it's not you physically going to a stadium to watch guys playing on the console. It's you being at home, VR headset on, being in a virtual stadium. Is that a very entry entry level explanation of the metaverse, or can you can you put it you put it better? Yeah, sure. So right now, if you ask five people what the metaverse is, you'll get five different answers. Um, but so far, there's a kind of a general consensus, which is uh, the easiest way to explain it would be 3D websites. It'll be 3D websites. Um, but essentially, think about it like this. You right now, you live in the metaverse. Um, and the way you do it is like you let's say you get home after work. You're tired. Um, you want to you want food, right? You get on your phone, you order food to your house. Ordinarily, you'd have to call someone, but instead, you just you know do this. Uh, then let's say you're swiping on Tinder. So ordinarily, Tinder would have been going to a bar back you know 10, 15 years ago. But now you're swiping on Tinder. You meet someone nice. She says, "Hey, I'm out uh, right now. Do you want to come meet me?" And you say, "Sure." So then you pick up your phone. You you get an Uber to your house, right? Um, and in that case, ordinarily, that would have been you walking out onto the street and hailing a cab. So the metaverse is sort of the idea of it is the digital extension of our self becomes more important than our physical self. And you already see this with uh, NFTs. I personally am not a major fan of NFTs. However, you see people spending $10,000 on what they believe is a verifiably unique like profile picture. Um, and they want to put it on Twitter and have it verified a little hexagon and everything like that. So in those cases, they're saying their digital self is more important than their physical self. The generation that will see this in the, the most uh, extreme way would be Gen Z. You've got 
um, Gen Z kids who are e-dating. So they're dating on Discord. They're just like falling asleep on voice chat and FaceTiming constantly. And so they, they might have a full-on romantic relationship with someone for a year that they've never met. Um, and now, as far as the metaverse is concerned, where this is leading to is the mass adoption of VR. And that's where a lot of the investment is going. Um, currently, obviously, Meta, the company formerly known as Facebook, has they've got Oculus, their VR uh, company. They're pre preparing to release Project Cambria, I think, this year, which is going to be a very upgraded uh, new version of the Oculus Quest 2, which is, um, if you don't have it, I highly recommend you get it. Oculus Quest 2 is a fantastic platform very enjoyable um it's been very interesting but as far as the metaverse is concerned essentially it will be when most of our uh behaviors as people have been abstracted to an online or virtual world that's when uh, we've reached the metaverse and so for esports what i think one of the major things i think uh the metaverse will help is esports live events because esports has the most distributed fan base of any any you know support or any kind of entertainment and so you've got people you've got fans in saudi arabia you've got fans in china fans in korea that might all be fans of the same team like let's say g2 that's in germany right so they might all be fans of g2 if g2 is having a live game you could have a virtual event and then fans from all over the world could enter a virtual stadium and watch their team perform where I think it it beats the real world is you could also have virtual meet and greets. Um, and so you could basically have the players, you know, put on headsets and then you've got their avatars and people could go up and actually talk to them one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. And I think a lot of people are not seeing the potential in this, but it's got huge potential um, just because you'll see people spend a hundred or $200 as a donation on Twitch, just to kind of get a response from, their favorite streamer right and just response not even a conversation but i think there's a huge potential in allowing people to enter the metaverse watch a game virtually and then meet their favorite player that's that's really interesting um there's various bits that we could pick up on there that's one of the better explanations i've heard of the metaverse actually and it's like oh, okay um do you think it's been accelerated by the ongoing COVID pandemic in the last couple of years. And I don't, I don't want to dwell on it too much, but my, my point is perhaps recently we've, um, some big footballers have done a meet and greet by a video call. Um, the fans won through a competition, an opportunity to do the video call with this football player. And it comes like, it seems like a logical next step would be, you know what, like let's give away Oculus Rifts or give away some kind of virtual headset as part of the competition and you can have a, a virtual meet and greet which feels a bit more immersive than just a video call um but the video call things come about because of the pandemic protocol you know the covid protocol that, that la liga and premier league and and syria have put in place you know so is it is it is something that you think has kind of been driven forward more rapidly more recently yeah 100 percent um i think that you know, I've said this before, people have gotten mad at me. I think COVID has been one of the best things that's ever happened for the world. Just, you know, I don't want to say that uh, the dead, you know, I, I'm not making light of that. But as far as the advancement of industry, I think it's been fantastic. 
um, you've got you know massive amounts of industries that can moving to remote work. I think that's that's really accelerated it. And you have this, I think what's more important is this mass comfort with virtual events, virtual things. Um, like, you know, for, for example, my mother's a realtor, okay? And she's used to doing her work in person with other people. During the pandemic, you know, she's not a very tech savvy person. She got much more comfortable um, actually like going online, going on Zoom, doing, you know, virtual shows with people, uh, going to virtual conferences, like those sorts of things, even if it's just Zoom and, you know, a two-dimensional screen, not VR. I think that comfort is the foundation for the metaverse. And I think that that has become far more comfortable for people around the world. And so, yeah, I do think that the, the pandemic has absolutely pushed this forward and it's accelerated the process dramatically you know and and like you said people paid for a, a video call with their favorite uh, footballer i think that's you know that's exactly what i'm talking about if you've been in vr the 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 hard thing about vr is that if you haven't experienced it you don't get it you know and it's just you know i don't mean that in a bad way but it's just if you if you haven't used it and really understood what it can do it's hard to grasp why it's so compelling. Um, but it's also it's, part of the realism, I think, of it is your brain is very good at understanding abstraction. So once you're in the metaverse, once you're, let's say, playing around in Oculus Quest, you're in Horizon Worlds, um, you know, a little cartoon floating head and torso comes up to you and they talk to you. And for a second, you're like, this is kind of weird. And then once you start talking to a, someone else and you're like, where are you from? And they're like, oh, I'm from Ottawa. You're like, oh, Canada, that's cool. I've never been to Ottawa. How do you like it? And they're like, oh, that's pretty cool. That once you start having those human connections, that sort of parasocial relationship, it's so fascinating how A, it's addictive. B, it feels so real. You know, I've met people in the metaverse, um, in Horizon Worlds or Rec Room or Big Screen they're just awesome, cool, interesting people to talk to. And it's so fascinating, like how their little character becomes them in my head. When I, when I log into a, a common space, I see them there. It's like, that's them, right? That's my friend, Mary. That's my friend, you know, uh, Doug, I see them. And it's like, there's no, that's a little cartoon character. They're talking through a microphone. The, the experience is so seamless. It feels very real. And so if I met a famous person, a famous footballer, you know, famous esports player in the metaverse in big screen or horizon, I would have that same feeling of like excitement, trepidation, whatever that you would have from meeting them in real life. The only difference is they're far more accessible. Um, and I think that's where the benefit is. And so far there haven't been very many people who've really, um, capitalized on this or understood that this is a great direction to go. So like, imagine if you could meet Messi or, or Ronaldo in VR, it would feel much more real. And I, I think one thing that speaks to this is there was a lady who recently filed a lawsuit against a meta because she was groped by like virtually groped by um, some kids in, in horizon world. And on one hand we can laugh and say like, Oh, that's ridiculous. On the other hand, I understand where she's coming from. It feels 
you know, it, once you're in it and you kind of get immersed, it feels very real. And something like that, you know, that has a very real analog and a dramatic analog to the real world, you know, it can feel very traumatic, just like a real moment, like meeting you and your favorite sports player would it have, you know, a, a good feeling or a positive outcome overall. So yeah, I think there's a huge amount of potential. I think the COVID pandemic has absolutely accelerated this progress. And I think since, you know, the pandemic's not over, I think we are going to see a lot more progress in the next year. So when we did um, like history at high school, one of the classic questions would be, yeah, World War One was a good thing because it accelerated medicine. So you've kind of did a modern day twist. The pandemic is a good thing because it accelerates the the progress into into the metaverse. So we've used the example of uh, of your parents sort of being maybe skeptical about Zoom, but now 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 your mum mum's an expert. So what do you think would lead to someone like like of your parents' generation to buy a headset or? Or is the headset not always necessary for this type of metaverse experience that you that you described? You know, I um, I've I've talked to some people before. Some people believe that a headset is not necessary. I personally think it is. Um, there is an insanely compelling facet to VR that a lot of people don't understand. So, like, I I have one. I have an Oculus Quest two. When my my extended family came to my parents' house for Christmas. Um, I let my grandparents play around with it. I let my uncle play around with it, my cousins, and my brother. My brother, my uncle, and my cousin, and my aunt all purchased one that day. They, they played with it. It was so interesting to them, they immediately purchased one. And these are people that are not necessarily gamers. They're not necessarily you know, super tech-savvy but they saw the immediate benefit and like how amazing technology it is. And I think that that's going to be the defining moment once it it's sort of viral, right? When someone gets it, they let you play with it, you see it and you're excited. It's a little bit like the first iPhone launch. When the iPhone launched, it was a touch screen, right? It was glass, it was fragile. And people were like, why would I pay for this? I like my, my BlackBerry keyboard. But then once you played with one, you know, your friend says, hey, got this new phone, check it out. They play with it. You're like, oh, my God, that is so cool. Actually, I need one. I feel like the way iPhone had a big adoption and then it was kind of a slow growth um, off of that, I think that that's going to be the same as VR. So right now, it, it, Oculus and uh, VR just had its best year ever. The Oculus Quest on Christmas, the Oculus app was the best-selling iPhone app, which means it's an, it's a companion app for the headset. means people were excited. They were downloading it. They had just gotten one for Christmas. Um, I think that this is kind of the start of the critical mass, uh, you know, critical mass adoption for VR. So I do think it, uh, the VR is going to be a necessary component. What I think would be a big seller for it would be VR events. So an example, a friend of mine is the CEO of a company called Assimula. They're doing VR events for uh, K-pop, for regular American music, and for esports. And they were recently reached out to by um, someone in the music industry who has connections to Metallica. 
if anyone is going to go to a virtual concert, it would be Metallica fans, which tend to be on the older side, might not be interested in standing in line for hours in you know a crowded auditorium, whereas they could watch a virtual concert from their couch. They've got their beer next to them. They've got their own bed, their own bathroom, no traffic. Um, I think things like that are going to be what drive it over someone like Mark Zuckerberg saying, hey, now you work in the metaverse. Have fun. <laughs> I guess price point for VR headsets as well would be a, a a big issue. You know, once they they become affordable, I don't know, the same price as a smartphone or whatever, everyone will be going out and buying them. That's true. Um, Oculus Quest, you can get it right now. I think Meta just said that they're selling it at a loss, so you can get one for three hundred. Um, oh, wow, okay. And uh, the Quest Two. If you want to get that upgraded version, you can get it for four hundred. Um, so it's 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 reaching that's, that's, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's certainly not you know beyond the if you look, compare it to like a PlayStation Five or something. It's, yeah, you know, it's very very affordable. Um, so just to kind of try and to close the circle a little bit here, um, I think you've explained everything really well. Like esports and metaverse, how would a how would Stuart and I, for example, let, let's 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 keep it low low scale. I'm not going to go and talk about Manchester United or, or New York Giants or whatever. How would we get a, go about getting into the metaverse? So instead of us doing a video call now, how could we do a a virtual interaction? You know, how could we build ourselves a virtual studio and make sure we sit down and have a kind of a bit more of an immersive uh, interview? Sure. So uh, it's actually shockingly easy. What you could do is you could. First of all, you just buy a set. I would recommend the Oculus Quest 2 because it's just so cheap. Um, and it's you're fantastic. Commission. Are you, you're, you're getting paid I'm, by I'm not, I, I, You know what? I wish I literally emailed <laughs> them and I was like, look, if you let me sell these, I'm going to sell more than you've ever seen. Uh, but no, the, Mark Zuckerberg hates me. So um, I wish I was. So I would recommend the Oculus Quest 2 just because it's the cheapest one on the market. It's solid. It's, um, it's got a good battery life and it's standalone is the biggest thing. You don't need a powerful computer to hook it up to. You get one of those, you can download Rec Room or Big Screen. Um, Big Screen has a, a meeting room app. There's also Horizon Workrooms, any of these apps. And then in those apps, you can either build a studio for yourself or you could hire someone like me um, and my company, Fox and Farthing, and we would build a Metaverse uh, physical location for you. And then people could actually go okay. into this and they could they could watch you. Um, the good thing is it's fairly cheap um, as far as, you know, considering you guys wouldn't have to be in the same location uh, and you wouldn't have to necessarily pay for rent. You know, it's a one time cost as far as paying someone to build it. But you could also build it yourself. And in that case, it would be free. It would be four hundred dollars for the headset. And then after that, you uh, you know you download a free app, you build an area in it for free, and uh, that's it. <laughs> so, but it's not like, that, like hosting a paying to host on a website or no, it's a hundred percent free. And people with the code or the link could actually go in and they could watch this show live. And the cool thing is they would be able to see your avatar and um, and Stuart's avatar sitting next to each other behind a desk or something. And then after the show, walk up and ask questions or ask questions of your guests or whatever. So, yeah, if, if 
on a small scale, that's, you know, more or less how it works. So there's a huge uh, office skyscraper being built just the other side of my apartment building. So Price Coopers, they should have not bothered and just thought every employee uh, <laughs> had said in a built, built meeting rooms on the, on the metaverse. I think they missed a trick there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, I, you know, I think a lot of enthusiasts are going to say, oh, it'll take over everything. No, it won't. You know, um, I came from a blue collar background. I was, my family was working class. Um, I would, you know, when I was 14, 15 years old, I was cleaning windows, shoveling walks, raking yards. Um, I worked around construction workers, truckers. Do I think the whole world is going to go completely virtual, be ready player one in two years? No, I don't think so. And I think anyone who tells you that uh, is delusional or drunk or both. I think the thing is that a lot of industries will have a VR component, just like a lot of industries have an online component. Uh, I think for the metaverse, it'll just be a, a, a form of immersive website. You've got companies that are on Twitter, they're on Instagram, they're on Facebook. They use that as a way to connect with their customers. I think that's going to be the primary use of the metaverse for the next 10 years. Um, and that, you know, it'll be like Wendy's or uh, Sainsbury's is going to have like some sort of customer service, you know, outlet in VR. And if you want to go talk to someone or you want to see some event that they're having, you would be able to do that. Uh, I think that'll be the primary use for it. I don't think it's going to be people sitting at home in a virtual office with their little goggles on working on a screen. I just don't think that's going to happen for a, a good long time. Are we going to, maybe they already exist, are we going to see a virtual Old Trafford or a virtual United Center or? Um, yeah, I think we will, actually. I think we will. Uh, I've talked to some people who work. I actually, yesterday I was on a call with the largest AV supplier in the world. Um, they do AV for the World Cup. They do it for Microsoft, for Disney, Epcot. It's these massive companies. And he was talking that there's a lot of interest in moving to a virtual event. And essentially it would be like, you know, boxing or, or soccer be pay-per-view but in VR. And so you pay $20 for entry. And the great thing is it's essentially unlimited um, as far as how many people they can fit in the stadium. So the question would be, would you, know, would you be interested in paying $20 for a virtual ticket to the World Cup uh, instead of flying to Qatar this year or flying to South Africa or whatever? You know, um, I think a lot, for a lot of people it hinge on, can they use a digital Vuvuzela um, and if, if the answer was yes, then they might be more interested. But I think I think for a lot of people, yeah. I think for a surprising amount of people, the answer would be yes. I think certainly for for that that price point, definitely. I mean, for if for twenty dollars to be get the stadium atmosphere, I'm, I'm sure that would be a a crazy experience. So maybe after this this conversation uh, this afternoon or this morning, for you, I'm gonna get my headset all ready for for Qatar this winter. Um, <laughs> So, Lowell, you've been a, a fantastic guest. We've both learned so much about esports e and metaverse, and we could have done 10 more episodes. But what we do oh, is our, as our tradition here on 21 for 21, uh, we ask our guests for a, a lesson in, in their sort of industry within sport and media. So if you could sum up what you've said today in just one lesson, what would that be? I would say that the number one takeaway or lesson here would be um, 
esports and the metaverse it's for everyone it's not a niche thing anymore um i think it's reached a point where it has a low enough barrier for entry anyone can enter it um it's very cheap it's it's exciting it's easy to get into uh, and i think that it's also very profitable for businesses so i think right now is the best time for anyone who's interested in this space to just get into it start exploring and look for opportunities as Stuart said you've been a, an amazing guest so informative but in, in such a clear way you know you've explained stuff in in certainly what i've been able to, to understand completely um so thank you very much give yourself a promo where, where can we find you you know how can the yeah. fans follow you or sure so um i publish a lot of papers on linkedin so people are welcome to find me at linkedin um my linkedin is www.linkedin.com slash sake bomb uh like the drink uh also my company website fox and farthing is www.foxandfarthing.com we provide uh vr app development and metaverse design for companies that are looking to host events in vr so Great. So I noticed you no, no, you hate Mark Zuckerberg or he hates you. So no Facebook, no Instagram, no, Instagram, <laughs> no, 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 no meta, meta products. Good, good. To yeah. Well, I have them, but they're more personal and I just kind of shit post on them. So I would uh, be afraid <laughs> that people would just see that. Nice. Good. Well, um, thanks to everyone for, for, for listening. We're on uh, YouTube, Spotify, Google podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. And yeah, thanks again for joining us. Lowell. All right. Thank you guys so much for having me. Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.